Whitechapel Wednesdays, Part 11 Welcome to our series of Whitechapel Wednesdays. In this weekly series, we pull together news reports in chronological order leading up to the infamous series of slayings. As Ripper enthusiasts will know, there is considerable discussion as to whether the slayings were confirmed only to the five reported. We have included reports outside of the five to show the build-up of terror in the Whitechapel area. We have also included other, sometimes seemingly minor, news stories during this time to give you a picture of the life and times of Whitechapel of 1888 as events build to the series of slayings. In this series we offer no comment, but adhere strictly to the papers of the time, all in chronological order. We hope you enjoy the show. The recap of last week. In last week's episode, sheer panic takes hold of Whitechapel with the double event that had taken place. One of the victims is so disfigured that police have yet been unable to identify her. The other victim is identified as Elizabeth Stride, described as another of the unfortunate class. There is also the first letter received initially considered a hoax, which is signed Jack the Ripper. In this episode, the inquest on the still unknown body at Mitre Square, the ineptitude of the police, another missive from Jack, and a suggestion on how to catch the Ripper from a doctor of lunacy. From the Express and Echo, the 1st of October, 1888. More East End London tragedies. The medical examinations. The post-mortem examination of the wound found in Mitre Square was made yesterday afternoon at the City Mortuary in Golden Lane. The proceedings lasted from 2.30 till 6 o'clock. Dr Brown of 17 Finsbury Circus, surgeon to the City Police Force, conducted the operations and was assisted by Dr Segura of 34 Jewelry Street and Dr G. E. Phillips of 3 Spittle Square. Dr Sedgwick Saunders was also present. The doctors declined to say whether any portion of the body is missing or to give any information as to the autopsy until the inquest is held. This will probably be on Tuesday at the mortuary in Golden Lane. The Central News, however, understands that as the result of the post-mortem examination of the body of the woman found in Mitre Square, it is shown that the details of the mutilation are almost exactly the same as in the case of Annie Chapman, a certain portion of whose body it would be remembered was missing. Up to a late hour last night, the victim had not been identified. With regard to the Burner Street murder, Dr Blackwell states that he was called to Burner Street by a policeman at ten minutes past one. The woman could not have been dead more than twenty minutes, the body being perfectly warm. Her head had almost been severed from her body, and Dr Blackwell is of the opinion 
that the same man committed both the murders and that he is a maniac who has been accustomed to the use of the knife. The head of the deceased had evidently been dragged back by means of a silk handkerchief which she wore around her neck and the throat then cut. The woman's wooden pipe being completely cut through, she was unable to make any sound. Dr. Blackwell thinks that it does not follow that the murderer would be bespattered with blood, for as he was sufficiently cunning in other things, he could contrive to avoid coming in contact with the blood by reaching well forward. A remarkable letter. The Central News says that on Thursday last, the following letter bearing the EC postmark and directed in red ink was delivered to this agency on the 25th of September, 1888. Dear Boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't find me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I am down on whores and shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work, and I want to start again. You'll soon hear from me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick, and I can't use it. Red inks is fit enough, I hope. Ha <laughs> ha! The next job I do, I shall clip the ladies' ears off and send to the police officers, just for folly. Wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp I want to get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name was not good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it! No luck yet. They say I am a doctor now. Ha ha ha! Ha ha! The whole of this extraordinary epistle is written in red ink, in a free, bold, clerky kind of hand. It was, of course, treated as the work of a practical joker, but it is singular to note that the latest murders have been committed within a few days of the receipt of this letter, and that apparently in the case of the last victim the murderer made an attempt to cut off the ears, and that he actually did mutilate the face in a manner which he has never before attempted. The letter is now in the hands of the Scotland Yard authorities. The Police the Daily News rightly argues that the police have done nothing. They have thought of nothing, and in their detective capacity they have shown themselves distinctly inferior to the bloodhounds which a few years ago in the provinces tracked the mysterious murderer of a little girl to his doom. The inadequacy of their numbers, though it is 
absolute in regard to the metropolitan district taken as a whole is but relative in regard to the limited area which is the scene of these crimes. In the quarter of these crimes, apparently, whatever changes there may have been in the frequency, there has been no change in the manner of the patrol. There has been no sudden doubling on to the beat to baffle the calculations of the murderer. The policeman tramps slowly by as he trampled before, and to those who have an interest in the calculation, his returning tread may be timed with the same certainty as the movements of a planetary body. The public are fast coming to the belief that it is its military organisation and the absence of local interest and control which makes our Metropolitan Police so inefficient and in the very first of their duties that of preventing violence and crime. The most agonising of the East End mysteries is the mystery of the utter paralysis of energy and intelligence on the part of the police. Again, says the Daily Telegraph, this vast metropolis has been horror-stricken by a repetition of the hideous murders and mutilations of which the East End of London, four times in succession, has already been the scene during the last few months. On this occasion, a double crime, in all its leading characteristics, so closely resembling its predecessors as to leave little doubt that it was committed by the same merciless hand, which deliberately slaughtered and mangled Mary Ann Smith, Martha Tabram, Mary Ann Nichols, and Annie Chapman, and has been added to the dreaded list of assassinations perpetrated with impunity in the chief city of the civilised world. The latest victims to the incredible bloodlust of an unknown malefactor or gang of malefactors have not as yet been identified with certainty, but their appearance, the hour of which they were barbarously slain, and the obscure, sordid character of the localities in which their bodies were discovered, justify the presumption that they belong to the class of poor and pitiable unfortunates, upon whom the ruthless and wily assassin had previously wreaked his homicidal fury. Yesterday morning's twofold murder only differs from those preceding it in the respect that its victims were done to death at an hour when the streets of the populous district in which the crimes were committed had by no means lapsed into the stillness of an early morn, but were still frequented by a considerable number of persons belonging to the Whitechapel district. In the East End, as in the majority of poor London neighbourhoods, a good deal of open-air business is transacted on Saturday nights, with the effects of keeping up buyers and sellers alike to a late hour than that on which they seek their homes 
on ordinary weeknights. Thus, between midnight and one o'clock, two murders were effected at places half a mile distant from one another, without hindrance, noise or detection, and obviously by one and the same hand. It seems probable that the assassin, having cut the throat of his first victim in Burner Street, was alarmed by the sound of some approaching footsteps, possibly that of a member of the club above alluded to, and took to flight, foregoing his ghastly purpose of mutilation for the moment. Having reached the purulousness of Mitre Square on his homeward way, and being unsated with the blood he had already shed, he found another opportunity of carrying out his revolting resolve to its utmost atrocity of detail, induced a second luckless waif of the night to accompany him into the still deserted little enclosure, hard at hand, and there slaughtered her with more than the savagery of a wild beast, hacking her face to pieces and mutilating her lifeless body in a manner that is all but indescribable. Last details of another extraordinary epistle by the Telegraph. The Central News says a postcard bearing the stamp London E. October the 1st was received this morning addressed to the Central News Office. The address and subject matter being written in red ink, undoubtedly by the same person who wrote the sensational letter already published as having been received on Thursday last. Like the previous missive, this also had reference to the horrible tragedies in East London, forming, indeed, a sequel to the first letter. I was not codding, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jackie's work tomorrow. Double event this time. Number one squealed a bit, couldn't finish straight off, had not time to get ears for police. Thanks for keeping the last letters back till I got to work again. Jack the Ripper. The card is smeared on both sides with blood, which has evidently been impressed thereon by the thumb or finger of the writer, the corrugated surface of the skin being plainly shown. Upon the back of the card, some words are neatly obliterated by a bloody smear. It is not necessarily assumed that this had been the work of the murderer, the idea that naturally occurs being that the whole thing is a practical joke. At the same time, the writing of the previous letter immediately before the commission of the murders of yesterday was so singular a coincidence that it does not seem unreasonable to suppose that the cool, calculating villain who is responsible for the crimes has chosen to make the post a medium through which to convey to the press his grimly diabolical humour. A practical step. The feeling of indignation against the Home Secretary for not offering a reward has immensely increased since the discovery of the last two murders. The following practical letter has been forwarded to the Home Office. 
The Financial News, London, October the 1st, 1888. The Right Honourable Geoffrey Matthews, QC, MP, Secretary of State for the Home Department. Sir, in view of your refusal to offer a reward out of the government funds for the discovery of the perpetrator or perpetrators of the recent murders in the East End of London, I am instructed on behalf of several readers of the Financial Times whose names and addresses I enclosed to forward to you the accompanying cheque for £300 and to request you offer that sum for this purpose in the name of the government. Awaiting the favour of your reply, I have the honour to be your obedient servant, signed Harry H. Marks. The Medical Opinion on the Murders Dr. Forbes Winslow, the eminent specialist in lunacy cases, said to our representative, I am more certain than ever that these murders are committed by a homicidal maniac, and there is no moral doubt in my mind that the assassin in each case is the same man. I have carefully read the reports in the morning papers, and they confirm me in the opinion which I had previously formed. While I am clearly of opinion that the murderer is a homicidal lunatic, I also believe him to be a monomaniac. I see no reason why he should not, excepting at periods when the fit is upon him, to exhibit a cool and rational exterior. I have here in my book a work on physiology, a case in which a man had a lust for blood, and as in this case, and he was generally a person of bland and pleasant exterior. In all probability, the whole of the murders have been committed by the same hand, but I may point out that the imitative faculty is very strong in persons of unsound mind, and that is the reason why there has been a sort of epidemic of knives. We shall probably find that a good many knives will be displayed to these people within the next few weeks. Still, all the evidence that is forthcoming up to the present moment shows clearly enough that the Whitechapel crimes have been perpetrated by the same hand. My idea is that, under the circumstances, the police out to employ for the protection of the neighbourhood and with the view of detecting the criminal, a number of officers who have been in the habit of guarding lunatics, that is to say, warders from asylums and other persons who have charge of the insane. These men, if properly disposed in the neighbourhood, would assuredly note any person who was of unsound mind. I've sent a letter embodying this suggestion to Sir Charles Warren, but I have received only a formal communication acknowledging its receipt. It is not easy to prevail upon the police to attempt a suggestion from outside sources. All that has been recently happened appears to me to be a strong confirmation 
of the views which I have previously given expression to upon this subject, that the murderer is a homicidal monomaniac of infinite cunning, and I fear he would not be brought to justice unless he be caught while engaged in the commission of one of his awful crimes. A reward of £500 offered. The Central News said Mr Phillips, a member of the Common Council of London, has given notice of his intention to move at the next council meeting that the corporation offer a reward of £250 for the detection of the murderer of the woman found in Mitre Square, which is within the city precincts. This has, however, been anticipated by the Lord Mayor, who has, on behalf of the corporation, issued an offer of £500 reward for the apprehension of the criminal. The Inquest Mr Wynne Baxter opened the inquest on the body of the woman Elizabeth Stride, who was found with her throat cut in Burner Street on Sunday morning at the Vestry Hall, Cable Street, this morning. William West of 2 William Street said he was at the International Working Men's Club on Sunday night. He gave a description of the premises and stated that the wooden gates were not closed until late at night as a rule. Witness worked at the printing office during the evening and went into the club afterwards where he remained until 20 minutes past 12. He went into the yard and noticed that the gates were open. He did not notice any body lying there, but he might have been there without his observing it. There was no lamp in the yard. He then went into the club again and called his brother and Louis Celso, and they left together by the front door. On only one occasion, about twelve months ago, he had noticed a man and a woman in the yard, and they walked away when he went towards them. Morris Eagle of Four, New Road Commercial Road, stated that he left the club at about 11.30 and returned about 12.40. He went in through the yard as the front door was closed but did not notice anything in the yard. He was certain he should have noticed a man and a woman if they had been there. He was in the habit of going through the yard occasionally but had never noticed any men and women there. He remained in the club about 20 minutes. A man named Gilliman came upstairs and said there was a dead woman lying in the yard. He went down and struck a match and saw a woman lying in a pool of blood on the ground near the gateway. He did not touch the body and went down towards Commercial Road for the police. He found two constables and informed them of the murder and they returned with him to the yard, where a number of people had assembled. One of the policemen sent him to the station for the inspector. He would not say if the woman's clothes were disturbed. He thought people in the club would have heard a cry of murder. Louis Demon Schultz, steward of the International Working Men's Educational Club, was the next witness. 
He stated that he left the club about 11.30 on Saturday morning. He had a costermonger's barrow and pony and drove into the yard. Both gates were wide open. It was very dark. His pony shied and he looked down onto the ground and saw something lying there, but could not see what it was. He jumped down and struck a match, but being windy he could only see it was some person lying there. He went into the club and in the front room he found several members and told them a woman was lying in the yard. He got a candle and went out at once and discovered a quantity of blood around the body. He did not touch the body, but at once went for the police. He passed several streets without seeing a policeman and returned without one. A man named Isaacs was with him and they were both shouting for the police. Another man returned with them into the yard and took hold of the woman's head. Witness then first saw a wound in the throat. The doctor arrived about ten minutes after the constables. The police searched everywhere and took the names and addresses of those present. The deceased's clothes were in order and she was lying on her side with her face toward the wall. The doctor put his hand on her bosom and said she was still quite warm. Witness estimated that about two quarts of blood were around the body. He had never seen men and women in the yard. The inquiry was adjourned until two o'clock tomorrow. That concludes this episode of Whitechapel Wednesdays, part 11. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy the show, please subscribe and tell your friends. Subscribing really helps us. We are aiming for 1,000 subscribers. We upload five times a week. Saturdays are our serial killer Saturdays. We review one of these historical serial killers in our large database. Sundays are eccentric Sundays, where we look into Great Britain's rich history of quirky, odd and eccentric characters. Mondays are murderous, where we look in depth into a famous murder story of its day. Tuesdays are twisted tales, where we present a pooled together collection of stories from our database, for example, murders on railways. And Wednesdays is Whitechapel Wednesdays, where we chronologically go through the newspaper stories related in Whitechapel, leading to the series of gruesome crimes in 1888 and arguably beyond. For our podcast listeners, you can see this podcast with the associated pictures on our YouTube channel at News of the Times. You can find the link in the show notes. Thank you again for watching and listening. This has been News of the Times and I... I'm Robin Coles.